The world of strength and conditioning is filled with some awesome practitioners who are always trying to evolve and continue to grow professionally throughout their career. The problem with many of us, though, is finding a new outlet, a new way and a new perspective on the questions that we may have, whether it be programming, whether it be situational with dealing with coaches, or whether it be career advice. Because all too often what happens is we get stuck in with the same group of friends and the same group of colleagues that we reach out to for advice repeatedly over and over again. But what we should really be looking for is different perspectives, different people who have been through different situations who can help us make better decisions both for ourselves and our athletes. And one awesome place to start with that is the forums in the Strength Coach Network. In the forums in the Strength Coach Network, you'll be able to reach out and get feedback, input, and advice from coaches from all over the world from everything from career advice to training modalities to programming, there's people there just for the same reason as you are, to try to get better, to learn, to share information, and to grow the field of strength and conditioning. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash CVASPS, that's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash C-V-A-S-P-S, to dive into all that great content today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Hey everybody and welcome to part 8 of the Metric Minute, brought to you by Vault Performance. I'm Kareem Jakawi and today we'll examine the overall eccentric phase. This episode is a little denser, but understanding the concepts will really pay off. So let's go. A counter movement jump always starts with the athlete standing upright at zero velocity. This gentleman has a mass that's being pulled down by gravity at a constant force. In this case, a thousand newtons or roughly 225 pounds. Since he's pushing into the ground with an equal but opposite force, they're in balance and he stands still. To initiate his descent for the jump, he pulls away from the ground slightly and coils downward. Doing so changes the force balance like a seesaw. Since gravity is now larger, he accelerates downward. He will continue to accelerate downward until he passes this point of maximum eccentric velocity. His force output increases over time and decelerates his body until he's at zero velocity again, but this time at the bottom of his squat. He started at zero velocity, went into impulse debt to build speed, then had to go above and beyond body weight to return to zero velocity. However, he's now loaded elastically and ready to triple extend. These two impulses will always be equal. To summarize these concepts, a powerful explosive athlete will display an aggressive unloading phase, which will require them to hit the brakes hard and fast. This check mark is highly beneficial because they can achieve huge forces at zero velocity in minimal time, both of which are desirable athletic traits we discussed in previous episodes. Now this drawn out approach here appears in numerous situations, including heavier athletes who smartly choose to avoid exponential spikes in force, those who don't have sufficient braking power or strength to handle high rates of force development, as well as injured or perhaps fatigued individuals. There are other concepts to discuss, but this is a great starting point. Tune in next time to learn more about the connection between the eccentric and concentric phases. Until then, please feel free to reach out to myself or any of my colleagues at Vald. Thank you. Guys, good morning on a Monday. This is Jake Jensen in Berlin. I got some thoughts for you. So I've been thinking a lot about periodization lately and reading some of your Berkshansky's work and going through some of the contemporary material like the NSCA books and journal articles about hockey. And um, I think something that strikes me, something I wanted to share is that uh, the idea of periodization is built on having a theory, carving out a ceiling for what you think is occurring, and then using the tools you have to test it. Um, 
you know, so the, the process of making a model that's built on a theoretical idea and then tested with practical tools is like sort of an old idea, right? You could call it the scientific method, but in sports it looks like you see an athlete doing something, you know, you theorize they could do it better with training, and then as you train, you measure something and you test it against their performance. <clears throat> and I think that what strikes me about that system, right, the system of theorizing, periodizing a plan, and then practically applying the plan is that it works really good in the 1970s, 1980s with track athletes. So the model was built and the system was installed for a team of like as few as two athletes. And the thing about systems is that once they're built, they're built to fail. So eventually they're gonna fail. And that's perfectly normal because when you build the system, you have a limited understanding. Um, and by testing the system, you gain more understanding, and then it's like assumed that you'll go back and rebuild the system with your new knowledge. Um, and I think that periodization as a construct applied really good to track and field athletes, but it has some base assumptions <clears throat> that are baked into the system um, that don't work for teams. And one of those assumptions is that elite fitness is the same as elite sportability. And it makes great sense for track and field because if you're a sprinter, you need to be fast. And being fast is something you can train as a physical ability. Cycling is another thing that I've been getting into lately. And, you know, what a fascinating sport from the standpoint of sports science. Like, there's so much there that you can do, um, that you can see real time, plug and play. And, you know, forecasting success based on fitness is like a real thing in cycling. And there, there's obviously some gamesmanship and some um, tactical like um, elements that come into play, different races and teams. But like you can really forecast success based on physical ability. And you just, you know, when as a team sports strength coach in, in ice hockey, when you break that system open and throw some ice hockey players into it, you know, the whole thing just starts smoking. And before you know it, it's just like a, a fireball, <clears throat> you know, a dumpster fire. Because the predictions that like a periodized structure tried to make based on assumptions of fitness equaling tactical ability, like they just don't work for team sports in a lot of ways. And I think for me, the adventure has been how to take the pieces of a periodization scheme and the theory that was underpinning the like the overarching um, a periodization scheme and take the theories and infer the assumptions about what the sports scientists and coaches were thinking when they made those theories. You know, and it's easy now with all the tools we have to try to just throw tools at old theories, but that's not, it's like, it's just not producing any new results. And I think that um, Patrick Ward said this a bunch of times, and uh, conferences and in uh, podcasts he's done recently that um, machines don't solve problems people solve problems but I think as people that machines can be a tool that we use to test theories we have about problems and for me there's already a ton of theories out there <laughs> you know that can be tested and I just find a real lack in what's been written on periodization and on transfer to fitness 
for sport um, using the tools that we have because back in the day, like they had nothing compared to what we have now. They have they had nothing. You know, the best they could do was you know a couple degrees of direct measure removed from like a real measure. You know, and now we have so many tools that are cheap, easily accessible to people even like me who are working in teams who aren't even in a research setting, which is probably why, you know, some of these things are missing. But, you know, the thought that I had that I just want to throw out there is, you know, there's enough theories about why things work. And I think maybe we in team sports are going to get more um, mileage out of testing theories that exist with tools that we have, you know, at our disposal, not getting caught up in theorizing about a new rep scheme or a new training structure or like a new practice plan for how to optimize like motor learning, you know, I think better off is to connect with people who uh, already have a practical experience, a wealth of practical experience and use our expertise in the tools that are available to us to evaluate the theories that already exist about transfer and about periodization and development of sports form. Because like we all know, there's no rep scheme that's gonna get us there. You know, there's no single exercise that's specific to a sport that's gonna get us there. Um, and I think that the knowledge that we're missing, like in Nate Silver's book, The Signal and the Noise, the phrase he uses, the unknown unknowns, the things that we don't know that we don't even know that we could know, like those things are sitting right in front of our face in the form of sport coaches. You know, and if, if we can get outside of our space, recognize a theory for its base assumptions, and then dig into the minds of people who have more perspective, I think that's something that can allow us to start making progress on chipping away at what transfer looks like and what periodization looks like in teams and how fitness influences um, success in that landscape. Um, you know, a great example is the of how this applies in real life. You know, I was talking to a head coach, <clears throat> a hockey head coach, and uh, I try to talk to as many of them as I can. You know, they're hard to get a hold of, they're busy guys, but he said something that really struck me. I said, tell me what's important to you when it comes to testing, like we're talking about fitness. Um, and he said, you know what really pisses me off and I never understood? He said, I had fitness coaches who would do one rep max testing with their athletes and come at me with a piece of paper and hold it up and say, look, this guy's better. And then after the conversation, which I didn't even listen to, tell me that the guy's injured and can't practice with us in camp for a week. And he got injured during the test. And he, you know, I could see it in his face that he's totally um, ostracized. He's completely disenfranchised with fitness testing and training and strength and conditioning. And like he has no interest whatsoever in participating in that thing. Because for him, it's a waste of his time. Like we don't get it. Like, we're living in some foreign world. We're outsiders. You know, we're dangerous to the mission of winning hockey games because we just don't get it for him. And for me, that was eye-opening because so many theories about how to get this done, but we always miss the fact that the guys who made the theories were head coaches. They weren't strength coaches. Like, they made all the calls. Most of their job was tactical and technical. 
the fitness side was just a little piece, you know, that had to be perfect. So I think, you know, as a, as a community, we can always talk about the minutia of biomechanics and kinesiology and, you know, applied physiology and all of these things and structure, but we're missing it if we think that there aren't some huge assumptions that exist in our systems. Our theoretical models are built on a foundation of assumptions that we don't know, we've never dug into that before. You know, they were built by sport coaches. Periodization was built by sport coaches, not by a lab coat physiologist. I think, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I think that's where the future is, is getting back to where the assumptions account for things that we can't figure out, you know, with rep schemes. And then putting our machines through their paces to test those things in a practical setting, in the applied setting, in the field, in the field of competition. So hopefully that is something that you guys can use. And I know for me it's something I'm still chewing on. It's not a finished thought, but um, there it is. So enjoy your week.